0: We're really selecting communities that are very interested in Ting coming to town. They work with us very productively, and we end up with a very strong presence and reception from the communities.
1: Welcome to Episode 357 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Once again, we have an interview to share that Christopher recorded while in Austin at the 2019 Broadband Community Summit. This time, our conversation is with two folks from the Internet Access Company and mobile service provider, Ting. As you'll hear in the interview with Monica Webb and Adam Eisner, the company is known for a lot more than what we at Muni Networks tend to focus on. They share some of their history and discuss how it has become a partner with several municipalities in order to bring high-quality gigabit Internet access to local communities. Monica and Adam also talk about the different projects that Ting is working on and the ones that they've developed so far. Ting is experimenting with different models to get their services to subscribers. Along the way, they've continued to emphasize strong customer service and learn some lessons, which they share with us. They talk about some of the ways municipalities can make adjustments to help companies like them quickly and efficiently deploy high-speed networks. They also offer some examples based on their own experiences. Now here's Christopher with
2: Monica Webb and Adam Eisner from Ting. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bids Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. I'm with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm worn out after a wonderful set of days here at the Broadband Communities event in Austin, Texas. And I'm talking with two of my favorite people, uh, one who's been on the show before, one who's new. Um, Welcome back to Ting employees, uh, the people who make Ting work. Monica Webb, the Director of Market Development and Government Affairs. For Ching Internet? That's correct. Or just welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This is, this is really fun because <laughs> I've known Monica for a long time. And, and Adam, I haven't known for quite as long, but he's a very relaxed guy. Adam is the vice president uh, for networks um, for Ching. I am very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So we're going to talk a bit about what Ting's doing. You've worked with uh, in many public-private partnerships. You've learned different lessons. There's a new model in Fullerton, um, California. That's exciting. We're going to talk about a number of different things. But the first thing uh, I think it's always worth noting is um, some of the people who listen to this show do remember Two Cows. So just briefly remind us where Ting came from.
3: Two Guys is the parent company, I guess, is the best way to say it. Uh, you know, been around for across three decades now. You know, very old Internet company started as a software download website in the 90s. Uh, turned into a domain name registrar that is currently you know we're the second largest registrar in the world behind GoDaddy you can say it it's hover and actually Robert wack and
2: I who <laughs> were just uh, using yesterday he was had an issue was on was on help desk with him right and and I've, I''ve been on help desk three or four times with hover over the years and uh, it's it's a wonderful experience yeah
3: so it's interesting you say that you know um, hover com is one, is our retail arm of that domain name registrar which is actually a wholesaler so it's got lots and lots of different mm-hmm. retailers on it um, and hovers one of those but um, hover was This domain name business that we built that had this great idea around great customer service, great interfaces, um, you know, fair pricing. And that actually was the genesis or the idea behind Ting Mobile, Mm -hmm. which was the next business you guys sort of launched, which was a, a, a mobile provider, a mobile virtual network operator. Um, using those same principles, and that business then took off. And so, you know, between this now very established domain name business and this great um, mobile business that took off and is ranked one of the best mobile providers in America now by Consumer Reports, we went, okay, well, we have two stable businesses that are generating a lot of cash that we want to invest appropriately. Uh, where else can we spend, you know, sort of that cash in areas where people have lousy relationships with their providers, slash could benefit from a better customer experience? And mm. we, we moved to broadband.
2: Well, I have to say I've been a longtime customer of the Ting Wireless as well. Uh, I have been very happy with it. Um, so uh, we've—I've never been become a shareholder of Ting or two cow, of two cows, I guess, um, because I feel like it would be a conflict of interest, and people would be like, you know, because I am frequently praising you publicly. So from my very very powerful perch in this in this industry. Um, so, Monica, I'm curious, can you run down, um, maybe you could start running down the projects that Ting is involved in around the country?
0: So, currently, we have eight markets that uh, are, have been announced. One of them in Westminster, Maryland, is largely complete. We have six that are lit, are in various stages of construction. Holly Springs, North Carolina is almost finished. Uh, so, we have, we have subscribers on six of those networks. Uh, running live and we have very active construction and those particular projects vary from Sandpoint Idaho uh, you know where we have populations of 7,500 right up to Centennial Colorado where's population of 100,000 so they represent a variety of sizes of municipalities and certainly geographies and also you know maybe most interestingly different models in terms of how we work with uh, local stakeholders, how we work with other partners in in the model that we're deploying in those markets.
2: So here we are. We're in Texas right now. And you had a stake in UVA, the University of Virginia, in the national championship. How are you tied to UVA?
0: Well, you know, Charlottesville was ground zero for Ting Internet in that that was our very first market. And interestingly, the when the, when when we closed on that sale, we went out to celebrate by going to a game, a, a UVA Cavaliers game. So I feel like we all support that team over other U.S. college basketball teams. Sure. And there
2: are no Toronto Rapids in the the eyes of Elliot.
0: That's right. <laughs> but you know, I, perhaps most exciting for us is this year we undertook a partnership with UVA where we actually supply uh, the internet. Uh, for the public at both the stadium where the Cavaliers play as well as their UVA football stadium. And we bring, you know, we brought fiber in and then we have wireless access points and we have worked really hard to provide a robust and seamless wireless experience for all of the attendees to those games. So uh, we feel, you know, very vested in UVA itself. And, you know, as I said, it also had an instrumental sort of moment with us when we first embarked on our deal in Charlottesville
3: we had this funny thing where um you know UVA I think Duke was playing in UVA at the stadium and LeBron James was there and we were all sort of looking around going I wonder if he's on Ting Wi-Fi is LeBron James using our Wi-Fi because that would be pretty awesome (laughs) um you know so you get all these you know uh, funny sporting anecdotal stories like UVA won the national championship for basketball a few days ago and uh they're having a homecoming sort of thing in a couple of days at the football stadium and we all sort of went Uh, We got to make sure the Wi-Fi is still on, even though football season is over. So, um, you know, we have a lot of people in and around that organization and, you know, those sports. So it's been pretty cool
2: so adam let me, uh, let me stay with you for a second because people that are long time listeners will know monica 's background been with Ting for many years now prior to that was um, we well, had interviewed you when you were with Wired West in Massachusetts um, but adam, you uh, as far as I know, you were kind of thrust into this uh, position <laughs> at Ting and I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about that
3: yeah so i 'm a bit of a two cow's lifer you know i 've been at the company for about fifteen years, which uh, in internet years um, is a lifetime and uh, boy, I'm not even the longest serving employee by a long shot. And so you know, my genesis through the company was kind of starting in marketing um, ended up running the wholesale division of 2Cows on a product level for a number of years. So, the domain name, email, SSL sort of businesses. And, you know, after a number of years, was kind of looking around the organization just because 2Cows is really good about affording you different opportunities to do different things if, if that is your interest. And so, you know, kind of said, hey, you know, are there other things that, you know, I could get involved in here? And so at that point, the company was looking at getting into the broadband space. So, you know, they said, what about this fiber idea? And so I basically locked myself in a room and started looking up the elements to you know what goes into deploying fiber and shortly thereafter we were we were on our way and so ever since then have you know really been involved pretty deeply in finding the markets building the markets operating the markets and uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch it go from this you know idea that what was effectively a software and services company had to um, something that's now an ISP in a whole number of areas. Interestingly, Tucas was owned by an ISP, has a lot of ISP DNA in it. So although you know the space is a little new f- from the terms of deploying fiber and running a fiber to the home project, um, a lot of people in the building that uh, grew up in ISPs somewhere. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, historically, companies that have tried to get into this, particularly in a, in a sort of big way, where you're picking different markets across the country rather than just picking up a name brand in one area. I think they've struggled a bit, like RCN, Nology. Um, a lot of those companies have consolidated over the years and they've really faced challenges. You seem to have been more successful. Uh, we're not gonna talk about specific take rates, but my impression has been that in all of your markets, you're, you know, you're not getting ready to bail out. It seems like it's working.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, we're really happy with the way it's the way it has gone so far, and you know, just us introducing new markets, I think, is indicative of that. I think we're lucky in that, until recently, anyway, we had a little bit of an advantage of being a startup inside of a large, successful company. So, um, you know, there were no preconceived notions about how we were going to pull this off. Um, But we're also well supported, well capitalized to be able to uh, take our time to figure that out and do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I think that's really benefited us as we've gone out and sort of you know spread the word and gone into new markets
0: i think our expansion has been fairly thoughtful as adam mentioned you know we do have a startup culture uh so we we felt like we had a good handle on it when we started to scale up we have some you know obviously a world-class customer experience to rely on as well fantastic branding and marketing and that has really allowed us to succeed in these communities Uh, we have a very local centric approach in the communities. We're not going into giant metros. You know, we're really selecting communities that are very interested in Ting coming to town. They work with us very productively, and we end up with a very strong presence and reception from the communities.
2: And you're using a variety of different models. I think I might simplify it into, into three Um, briefly. We can do a tree and how these branch out as we go down because each community seems to be somewhat unique. But, um, you know, you, you bought a company, so you are a company in Charlottesville in which you are just a total private company. In Westminster, uh, the city, um, Robert Wax City, um, led, really led the effort, built a network, and you partnered to operate on the network, which is, you know, you're doing some equipment type stuff also, but we've done a podcast on that. People are interested can go back and look at that. But that's where you're, you're kind of, you're leasing municipal assets, um, my impression was in some ways that that was, uh, you thought that maybe that would be a common model moving forward, but in many other cities, and this is still with the second model that I'm <laughs> elaborating on, um, you're leasing municipal assets, but less so. And then the third model was just announced uh, this week, which is now several weeks ago <laughs> because we're, we're canning the best interviews to let them age like a fine wine. Um, Fullerton, California, um, and sci-fi networks is launching a, a private company building an open access network. To enable other private companies to uh, compete on services. So anyway, is that is that a pretty fair like way to break them down?
0: Chris, you get an A plus.
2: (laughs) And I didn't really ask you a question. (laughs) So so,
0: (laughs) I would you know I think what I would say is we're not afraid of dirt and hard work, and that's something that we have you know painfully but definitely successfully figured out over time how we can build networks efficiently uh, and effectively. However. What we know we do best and can scale most efficiently is the provision of a fantastic customer service experience and the marketing of those services. And so when we partner with, um, you know, for example, the city of Westminster or Sci-Fi Networks, and they're taking on that piece of design and construction.
2: Adam's job. Sorry. (laughs) When they're doing Adam's job. right? (laughs) That's
0: right. When we offload Adam's responsibilities, uh,
3: yes,
0: (laughs) so it does allow us to scale faster and, and as I said, you know, provide, provide the same fantastic customer experience, um, but just not take on so much Mm. of the design and construction responsibilities. And so that's what
2: you see as the value add. I mean, like, I think companies that succeed often know what they do well. And so you're very focused on that customer experience.
0: Yeah, I, I would say that's the, been the defining characteristics that Tucows has really built its reputation on is providing a genuinely human customer experience, and uh, and and you know all of the other core administrative functions we have down to a science. So mm-hmm. it it really does allow us to offload something that is uh, you know it can be uh, difficult from a timeline perspective, it can be difficult from a resourcing perspective to other entities, and you know we can look for other markets where we can make sure Adam stays busy.
3: (laughs) Yeah I don't think we came into it thinking that we wanted to become um, a construction company. The easier it is for us to provide like this great service we're talking about is uh, you know the easiest way to allow us to do that is probably the most important thing and so you know if we can do that in connection with adding a lot of addresses to our portfolio to our network boy we're pretty happy with that so whether we're doing that or someone else is doing that on the construction side we're We're pretty okay either way, I think. You know, we didn't get into it thinking we'd be a construction company, although here we are, and I think we're pretty darn good at it. Um, And it's important and, you know, strategic to us. It's not the only way for us at this point. We're we're happy to do it any number of ways.
2: I'm curious what lessons you've learned, aside from the challenge of getting places on time with uh, the airlines being what they are. <laughs> I know that you both do a lot of travel and and uh, sometimes it's challenging as Monica's arrival here was. Um, but but what have you learned that, that may have surprised you in terms of uh, taking Ting from, you know, the very first uh, network that you were working on in uh, Charlottesville to where you are today?
3: Ooh, you know, there, there's so much. Um, I don't think... We necessarily underestimated but uh, we've done we've learned a lot about just what it takes to be able to build a network from the ground up if you think about it as a service provider software company that we were historically um we and i'm looking at monica here like you know monica and i have had to do a lot of pulling of the organization into and others obviously it's not just us but explaining to people inside the organization that we're going to have a fleet of trucks now. Um, You know, when uh, historically we were largely a group of, support operations development you know uh, and and any myriad number of things is is a real new idea for us and so you're
2: managing a fleet thousand miles away and and now 2500 miles away maybe now in one
3: yeah and if i think about my product days at two cows if you had a big project that you needed to finish on time for something um not to say it always worked perfectly but boy you could add some resources there to finish a project in short order uh you know construction you can't really do that there's so many different elements that um third party sort of things that you are can have an impact on your build that um, uh, you have to learn a lot to figure out how to mitigate properly. And I think we're there, but you know, there's a lot of learning around all of that to, to get there.
0: The other thing I would add to that that is interesting, given our, our software dev roots, is that we've been able to do a lot of internal work on billing and provisioning and workforce management that is going to ultimately really help our operation be as efficient as it, as it possibly can be. Um, I think the other learning and I think we came into this particular aspect of the business with our eyes open, but it's just I think what we've realized is you can have a recipe for how you interact with municipalities for success on permitting, success on franchise agreements, uh, success on on leasing or potentially purchasing land. But you really need to be very specific in the initial discussions to make sure that they understand this is an enormous impact. We're talking about building infrastructure, the scope of which hasn't been seen since the large cable build out in the 70s. This is going to overwhelm their, their permitting department if they don't have really super streamlined processes already in place. So I think that you know what we've taken from that is each municipality is different in terms of their capabilities there and that we really need to be up front with them with how much throughput we're going to need in order to build this network so that their constituents aren't waiting around for years to get the service.
2: Well, I'd like to push in on that for a second because I'm, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about maybe um, what you've seen that's worked well for cities and areas in which you might encourage cities to... Think about their processes; they may not even be aware of. Because Monica, you come from a background in which you are really representing the other side, the interests of the cities, and now you're—I think—you have a very full picture. Um, at the same time, I mean, it's worth noting for people who aren't familiar, you know, Elliot Noss has done a tremendous amount for the open internet, the guy in charge and the guy that I've always associated with with all of this stuff. Um, you know, He's long been committed and put in, doing, in putting his personal time and company time to things that matter for the open internet worldwide and, um, and net neutrality and things like that. You've remained strong supporters of net neutrality as you've gotten in the business um, of the wired access. So, so I'm just curious if you can just talk a little bit about you know, like maybe how your perspective of government's shifted and... And then we can roll into any ways you might suggest cities would be thinking about how to improve their processes.
0: One thing I would say about open Internet, Elliot really believes strongly in everybody having a fair and equitable experience on the Internet. Our tagline is unlock the power of the Internet. And that comes through in the fact that we give this great customer experience. And we are more than happy to stand up for policies that support an open Internet Uh, sometimes we don't actually have the bandwidth personally to get in the trenches, but that's why we support other organizations that are doing that work. We sign letters to legislators. Um, We do whatever we can because it really is important to protect uh, the right for everybody to have free and open access to the internet. I'll I'll use permitting for an example. Mm -hmm. We'll say to cities, okay, we're going to be putting through a lot of permits. We're going to need you you know make sure that your processes are streamlined. And they'll say, absolutely, we'll do that. And then it comes down to it. And often that's, more than, more than often not the case.
2: You bring a wheelbarrow full of permits into City Hall yeah. and their eyes fall like, right. out of their heads, right?
0: And uh, you know, some things that have worked, for example, is sometimes our contact at the city you know, it will actually work with the various departments to make sure that, even though they're not the permitting department, that person will make sure our point of contact that, that uh, the permits are moving through. We will say to them, you know, here's our timeline of how we need the permits process. We need to have a permit in our hands within a month of the initial submission. So let's work back and figure out what Mm -hmm. your approval timelines are with each different department to make sure that that can happen. Make sure that you have a permit category that is appropriate for what we're doing so that we're, A, not paying a lot of money to do it, but also it's getting to the right people in the right hands as soon as possible. If there are any ways to streamline it where we can help, tell us in advance and, and let's make that happen. So it really is... Getting into the nitty-gritty details of how each task is performed that we're reliant upon to successfully deploy, uh, that is the secret to the success.
2: I mean, the impression I get is that when you're approaching them, you're working with cities, first of all, that are going to be open to working with you, um, but they, you've, you found that they're pretty receptive to trying to identify these challenges and... And solve them.
0: Some are are better than others. You know, one of the other things that uh, one of the towns that we're working with has been wonderful about is just increasing the the, the size of the permit, basically. Mm-hmm. So not limiting it at you know a few blocks or so many houses or so many square miles, but but actually saying you know this will be a blanket permit for the city, and then you'll just supply us with the plans, and we'll review them one plant one mm-hmm. phase at a time. Uh, that has been enormously helpful. So I would say the cities genuinely want to streamline it's it's just a a matter of how that actually happens you know larger cities there can be more steps more red tape to getting that kind of thing done so we generally we generally find that the smaller towns are more receptive to making things happen quicker
2: sure well and i'm just thinking i mean you actually have a, a broad view because you're in very red states very blue states and purple states, so it's <laughs> it's, yeah, it's worth remembering. Towns are you know they're not subject to the the state voting patterns always, um, just in terms of the politics.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I would say we haven't seen a difference based on uh, you know what the, what the state level politics are. It's really, uh, as they say, all politics are local, and certainly when it comes to. Processes like permitting that fall under local politics, it, it really does come down to what the local administration makes as a priority. You know,
3: One other thing there is that we're typically working with municip- municipalities where we're not trying to sell them on the idea that broadband is a transformative thing. <laughs> um, so we're generally working with municipalities who conceptually anyway um, are on board with the idea that this is going to be a good thing. Um, But, you know, the proof is in the pudding when it comes down to um, the people you're working with initially may be, you know, on board. But as you get deeper into especially larger cities, as Monica was saying, it's usually easier with smaller ones. Um, You know, you've got to make sure that all the pockets that you're going to be dealing with are of that same belief, although generally that's the case. But sometimes there's a bit of cajoling involved in certain places
2: i'm I'm curious what to what extent you can discuss some of the trade-offs between different municipal assets that you've leased um i think you've leased conduit you've Mm -hmm. leased uh dark fiber um and you know the arrangements of dark fiber may have been different in different places so what are some of the trade-offs that you're seeing as you're doing this
3: you know um the more assets that you're leasing the less control you have over where they are how accessible they are um even with those municipal you know like i said everybody's on board with the idea of broadband. depending on who they've been working with and what they understand, um, pricing models can be very different as an example. So, um, you know, there can be some real challenges if you're relying entirely on municipal assets, because they're typically not designed to be exactly in line with what your objectives are. Um, So we're finding more and more that we're moving to, you know, some hybrid solutions there where maybe it's some empty duct as opposed to, um, you know, a full duct of fiber that we're trying to Uh, you know, lease as an example. And we're also cognizant of the fact that when municipalities are building these things, um, there's obviously only going to be a limited amount that's going to be for, you know, a private entity that wants to come in and and, and lease some assets there. So, you know, we're finding ourselves in every market doing it a little differently. Um, You know, generally speaking, pretty thankful for what is there for assets that we can use. But Um, You know, we have long conversations with each municipality that we're working with right now on uh, what they have, you know, what they're able to make available and how that might fit into our build plans, which as we get better at it, um, you know, tend to take more in-house. And so there's, it's a bit of an ebb and flow, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm.
2: Are you considering, would it make sense for you to just like say, come to St. Paul, Minnesota and start being an ISP there on your own without leasing anything? Or are you generally thinking about leasing assets in order to, to get into a market?
0: I don't, I don't think we actually need to, to have municipal assets made available to us in mm-hmm. order to enter a market. What we do want to see, though, is that a municipality is open and interested and engaged in the process of bringing an ISP in. Because it's it really is just a different having a different perspective, Mm -hmm. wanting to work productively with us.
2: You're telling me I should move. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nice to have. Yeah. (laughs) Toronto's got four seasons.
3: (laughs) At this point, assets are definitely nice to have, but like Monica was saying, it wouldn't preclude us from going in somewhere if we thought that the city The right sort of attitude to this if the competitive situation was such particularly uh, citizens didn't have access to fiber. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the markets we go into are one phone company that everybody's really frustrated with and one cable company that everyone's really frustrated with. So, um, you know, if we're sort of ticking off those boxes, and it's a market that can sort of sustain gigabit internet that we're looking at them. you know we're still we're in that mode where we're we're still looking
2: and are you looking in Canada as well i got that question every now and then from a canadian folk
3: yeah you know we're in a real weird spot where we're this canadian company that doesn't do anything in canada um
2: Elliot so. did say once that he'd have to build 10 markets in the united states before he would build in canada because he felt that he wasn't taken seriously until he had achieved more market right. success and, and y- he may have been you know he may have just been um joking but this is a bit of a
3: personal answer but i think that there's a lot more uh, if i think about where i live in toronto or uh, i'm not saying that it is the 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 options are amazing however bell is spending something like two billion dollars in toronto to build fiber to every home effectively and they're starting to do that across the province of ontario Mm -hmm. tell us out west is doing something similar um, you know, Rogers, who's a cable provider, is spending a lot of time going to three one and so on and so forth. So competitively, um, you know, there's a lot of action there. Uh, it's a much smaller co- country population-wise. And so there are fewer markets in which to look at that don't have one of those three people or two, you know, really investing a lot of money right now in, in upgrading the network. Um, that said, the pricing is garbage, but that's another story. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm going to avoid
2: the obligatory joke about the exchange rates. <laughs> right, yeah. When, and
3: that, yeah, let's not even get into that. And so, you know, if you look at the U.S., there's just so many more opportunities where what I was describing earlier, um, just around bad service, not a lot of options. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at a place like Sandpoint, Idaho, um, you have companies, enterprises coming to you and saying, please help, we get a meg up and a meg down. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of places where we feel like we can, we can solve that problem uh, here in the U.S. relative to what's in Canada.
2: Thank you. Thank you both for,
3: for taking some time.
2: I love the, to talk to you in person. Um, you know, Ting is a fun company, and I'm excited to see where you all go.
3: We're still we're having a lot of fun. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having us, Chris.
1: That was Monica Webb and Adam Eisner from Ting discussing their companies' experiences deploying Internet networks and working with local communities. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at Community Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at Muni Networks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, License through Creative Commons, and thank you for listening to Episode 357 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast.